You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Fantastic to see you, fantastic to be here. We're also being joined by our online community and also our family in Ellen and also Peterhead. So let's give them a cheer and a wave. Hey, hey, hey. Great to have you with us. Uh, My name's Chuck. I'm one of the leaders here. It's not my real name, but it's the name I'm stuck with. And so we'll just live with that for now. And um, one of the leaders here, um, just by way of encouragement, uh, maybe you're new to our church and you're not aware, but uh, our church has kind of spread out over the last 10 or 11 years into eight different locations around the northeast of Scotland. And then about six years ago, we started to send individuals or little teams to plant churches in other parts of Scotland as well. And um, three weeks ago, I was at Inverness Vineyard's sixth birthday. Uh, And Thomas and Mary, who who were formerly of this parish, are now uh, doing an amazing job. There's well over 100 people worshipping God in Inverness Vineyard, which is fantastic. And then last weekend, me and Taryn were in Stirling for their fifth birthday. And again, well over 100 people there, just worship, they're doing an amazing job of reaching out to their city, Hannah and the guys there. And so it's just super encouraging to know. I think there's about 350 people who are worshipping God every week in churches that have come out of us, which is really amazing. So super encouraging time, uh, but it's, there's no place like home. And so it's good, to, it's good to be here. We're going to be reading from the Bible in a moment. If you've got a Bible with you, either in the kind of original book version or in some kind of digital device you're welcome to to produce that as long as you don't check your email and uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5 so just to explain like every week in our church we just work our way through books of the bible we've been working our way through the the new testament letter of James since august september time and this is our final moment just looking at that and uh, we think that James is a letter written by the Apostle James, who was Jesus's half-brother. So he's, he's someone, he's, he's like born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus. And uh, he's one of the apostles, one of the leaders in the, in the early church there in Jerusalem. And uh, so we're going to be in James chapter 5. I remember when our kids were really small, little toddlers, which is a long time ago now, and... and uh, uh, I guess sleep was at a real premium. Some of you are in that zone now where it's like every hour on the hour that, you know, one of your kids wakes up with a sore finger or, a, you know, they've had a bad dream or whatever. And so one Saturday morning, Taryn and I, we're absolutely exhausted. She goes off shopping. I'm like, I'm going to cook a full Scottish breakfast. And so, you know, you get the frying pan on, kind of bacon and eggs and all of that. I crack the eggs into the frying pan and then I open the bin and the bin's completely full to overflowing. Does it ever happen in your house that just when you want to put something in, it's like, oh great. So I'm like, I've just about got time to just rush outside, put the bin outside. And so I just tie the ends of the bin liner, run outside, and then there's a gust of wind, and the front door closes behind me. 
and it's okay because the door doesn't lock itself, right? So that's going to be okay until I see a shadow of one of my little toddlers just walking up and just locking the front door behind me. And I'm, I'm now on the other side of a locked door with a, a breakfast just nicely cooking on the other side. And I'm panicking. And so I'm just like opening the letterbox, try not to sound freaked out. You know, it's okay. Nothing to worry about. If you could just... Just do that thing that you just did in reverse. That would be really, you know, no, 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 the other way, the other way. No, no need to cry. You know, it's like, um, and um, so I'm like one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. I'm thinking my egg's going to be really well done by now. And then thankfully, just at that moment, Taryn appears uh, from, the, from the supermarket and she opens the door and we quickly get in and, the din- you know, the breakfast is just absolutely perfect. But I just want you to imagine... <laughs> just want you to imagine for a moment that instead of getting through the door, I just spent the rest of the, the kid's childhood parenting them through the letterbox. Right? Just, 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 just imagine that for a moment, just a little square hole like that, and I'm going, okay, no, we, now we're going to put our plates in the dishwasher. No, 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 that's the washing machine, the dishwasher, and you know, okay, should we read a story for bed? No, it's time for bed. Just trying to parent your kids all the way through. Now, let me, t- you know, no hope, you're not going to, no, spit young for a boyfriend yet, you know, kind of just through the letterbox. Um, I wonder whether it's helpful to think about the letter of James a little bit like that, parenting through the letterbox. Uh, We know that the early church explodes with life on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people are added to the church. Uh, A couple of chapters later, there's like 5,000 men, which is maybe 20,000 people. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says a great persecution comes on the church. And as a result, everyone except the apostles was scattered. And so you've got James and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem, but there are thousands of new Christians all out around the world. And and the only way that he's got to try and help them grow into maturity is to write them a letter. It's like parenting them through the letterbox, do you see? And, and, And so, you know, some people have said, and we will have seen it as we've journeyed over these weeks through James's letter, that some things in James are a bit stark, they're a bit kind of like written in capital letters, and maybe that's because it's all he's got to try and help these baby Christians grow into what looks like maturity. And so uh, we're going to look today at like what does authentic, mature, grown-up faith look like? Because this is his last moment, um, James chapter 5, going to read from verse... 13. He says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And we're just going to finish there. So here is James doing whatever he can 
to encourage these baby Christians that he's not able to be with in person. He's got no FaceTime, he's got no Zoom, he's got you know, no text messages. All he's got is his words being carried by a horseback on this letter around the churches. Um, and he's, he's sharing with them what authentic, mature, grown-up faith looks like. What does this passage teach us about grown-up faith? The first thing is grown-up disciples take personal responsibility for their faith. I don't know whether you noticed his emphasis in the opening verses of our passage this morning, but I just found it fascinating. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to come and pray. It's actually quite shocking. If you, like, like, you just come to realise, you might have expected him to say something like, is anyone in trouble? Then you as the church, this is your moment. You're going to gather around them. You're going to lift them up. You're going to help them, encourage them, strengthen them. But that isn't initially his response. He says, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Uh, later on, he does go on to say, you know, you should pray for each other. But his initial response is, you as an individual Christian have personal responsibility for your response to whatever it is that life throws at you. If you're sick, it's up to you to do something about it, to ask someone to come and pray. If you're happy, then you should celebrate. And it seems to me that babies need lots of care and attention and they need everything done for them. But mature adults, as mature adults, we're responsible, aren't we, for, for what we do in life and how we respond to individual things. And the same is true of mature Christians. We are responsible. And so in a way, what this passage is saying to us is, you know, there's a moment in, in uh, Joshua's life in the Old Testament where he says, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and James is doing a similar thing. He's encouraging us to take a, a kind of an imaginary stick and draw a circle around our bodies and then say, everything within this circle I'm responsible for and I'm going to grow and I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to disciple myself. So many of us learned during COVID the importance of what we're doing right now. You know, the ability to gather together, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to worship together. We didn't realize how important it was until we weren't allowed to do it. And what many of us, and you know, we learned a salutary lesson in actually how deep our roots really went down into the Lord. You know, I, I certainly would consider myself in that category of thinking, oh my goodness, that like, I thought I'd be okay, just me and the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, but it turns out that I'm not as mature, I don't have as deep roots as I thought I did. And so maybe that's why so many of us now are taking steps to kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to be in that situation again. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm deeper, I've gone further, like my relationship with God has, has um, developed so that if that were to happen again, I wouldn't be in the same kind of situation. And maybe that's why so many people are getting baptised at the moment. We've never had more baptisms in our church than we've had in the last year. It's well over 30 people being baptised in the life of our church over the last year. Why is that? Because we're, we're, we're all, so many of us just saying, I'm going to look at my faith, I'm going to examine where I am, and I'm going to take some steps. If you're, if you're not a Christian here today, maybe in this room or in one of the other rooms that are represented um, through the camera, uh, you know, you, like I think we need to just take, a, take note of James's message that, that we are all responsible 
for our journey with God. You know, you hear people say things like, oh, I wish I had your faith, as if faith was something that just happened to you, you know, just kind of plopped over you, and it's, oh, suddenly I'm a person of faith. But that actually isn't how it works. We have to go on a journey. We have to investigate. We have to consider. We have to invite God to do something in our lives. And, and so, you know, it's one of the reasons why the Alpha Course is so brilliant and so popular, because it's an opportunity to investigate who God is and what being a Christian would really mean. And I commend that course to you. There'll be new Alpha Courses starting in many of the sites in the new year. Grown-up Christians take responsibility for their faith. The second thing is, grown-up Christians take action by praying. They take action by praying. Uh, I love the story of an old chess grandmaster who, who, you know, was just on tour and he was traveling around different cities playing chess, really famous, well-known, and he finds himself in a city, he's got an afternoon off, thinks, what should I do? I know, I'm going to go to the art gallery. So he goes to the art gallery and he's looking around the paintings and then he finds a painting of um, a chess match and he's like, this is my gig, you know, I understand what's going on here. And so he stands watching for a while and the, the painting is called Checkmate. And what it is, is a picture on one side of the chessboard is the devil and he's kind of leaning back on his chair and he's laughing and he's clearly just won the match. And then there's another person on the other side of the chessboard and he's kind of like looking really nervous and afraid and sweating profusely and looking ever so worried. And clearly, you know, the devil's just, just won the game. And so the chess grandmaster looks at the painting for a while and then he says, somebody get me a chessboard. And people know who he is, so they go and fetch him a chessboard. They bring it, he sets it up exactly as the painting represents and... Uh, He says to the crowd who are gathering around, he said, do you know, there was one more move on the board. And he takes the chess pieces and he says, there you go. And my point is that James is saying to these believers, there's always one more move on the board. You know, as Christians, we might feel utterly powerless by the situations and circumstances that we face. But there is always one more move on the board. And what he's saying is, if you're in trouble and you feel powerless and overwhelmed by your circumstances, you should pray. You've got something to do. If you're unwell, invite someone to come and pray. And it's not actually, you know, you hear people say, oh, I believe in the power of prayer. Like, we actually don't really, as Christians, believe in the power of prayer so much as we believe in the power of God, which is why we pray. You you know, you hear lots of people talking about praying and then when you ask them, like, so just talk me through that. Who are you praying to? And they've got literally no idea. Like, that, that, that isn't the kind of prayer that he's talking about here. Because he says, you know, call the elders of the church. They'll come and pray. And the Lord's going to do something in their life. So this is about the power of God and his willingness. His standing ready to come and answer prayer. A friend of mine used to have a poster on his wall. And it said this. Um, a funny thing happens when I don't pray. Nothing. Archbishop William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the Second World War, uh, someone said to him once, do you know, like, I know that you think that God answers prayer, but really it's just coincidence. You know, it's just, it's just mathematics. If you say enough prayers, then every so often one of your prayers is going to look like it's been answered, but it's just a coincidence. 
And he said this, he said, well, okay, but when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. So James is urging his friends, his friends through the letterbox. He's saying, listen, there is always one more move on the board. For goodness sake, you know, you might feel powerless, but you're not powerless. You still have something that you can do. You can pray. I remember years and years ago, when I was... Um, just become a Christian, age 15, 16, and I was being mentored by this guy who was older than God, you know, he was like really, really old, and, and he was in a nursing home, and I used to go and visit him, and uh, I remember one time I went there, and I said, um, he said, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm okay under the circumstances, and he said, my dear boy, what are you doing under those circumstances? For goodness sake, come out from under those circumstances and pray, and uh, there is always something that we can do, we should pray. Grown-up disciples take action by praying. The third thing is grown-up disciples know how to do the stuff. They know how to do the stuff. Our church is part of a family of churches all around the world called the Vineyard Movement. There's about two and a half thousand churches in a hundred different countries around the world. And one of the kind of founding fathers of our particular denomination is called John Wimber. And, and he hadn't grown up in church you know, his parents weren't Christians, and, and he was basically a jazz musician. He was quite an accomplished jazz musician. He, he'd been playing in the clubs and, and so on of Las Vegas since he was a teenager, and he got to the point where he was the kind of musical director of a band called The Righteous Brothers that you might have heard of. And then his friends became Christians. They introduced him to Jesus. And so he go, him and his wife, Carol, they go along to church for the first time, and, you know, they'd complete, they, they stick out like a sore thumb. He's still wearing his kind of dinner jacket and dicky bow. He's got his uh, cowboy boots. You know, he's smoking all the way in. He just puts his cigarette out on his cowboy boots as he gets into the church. Carol's kind of teetering on her heels. They go into church and they're kind of just figuring out how it all works. And um, after like, you know, several weeks, maybe a few months... John goes to one of the leaders of the church and he says, yeah, this is great. I'm enjoying it. I'm kind of figuring out how it works. But when do we get to do this stuff? And the guy's like, I'm not, I'm not really quite too sure what you mean. He says, you know, the stuff. Said, You're going to have to explain. He says, well, you know, like the, the, the raising the dead and the casting out demons and the laying your hands on the sick. When do we get to do this stuff? And the guy says, oh, no, 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 no. We read about that stuff and we talk about that stuff and we pray about that stuff, but we just don't do that stuff anymore. And supposedly John Wimber said, hang on a minute, I gave up drugs for this, which is just a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious line. But there are lots of Christians all over the world who believe that that laying hands on sick people is something that the apostles used to do in the bible but that we don't do that anymore like that doesn't happen anymore and, and so you might be sitting there thinking this is really great it's a bit of a relief to be honest to know that i don't have to lay hands on any sick people because i'm not an apostle but unfortunately for all of us here is james saying if you're sick you should call one of the elders of the church and in this context there's no evidence to even think that these elders were also apostles and so it turns out it's not only the apostles and it didn't only die out with the apostles either and uh, and so you know his, his what he essentially says is 
that if you're sick, the first thing that you should do is to call one of the leaders. That's what the word elder means. You should call one of the leaders of your church and they'll come and pray. Now, many of you will be thinking, this is great news for me because I'm not an elder and I'm, I'm not leading anything. I don't even lead my own guinea pig. And so, and so, like, I'm kind of let off the hook. Am I right about that? No, you're wrong about that, unfortunately, because later on in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you should be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so the flow of James's thought seems to be, you know, if you're sick, the first instance you should call for one of the leaders of the church to come and pray for you. And just thinking about the context there, this is in a context of extreme persecution. And so if you're going to call someone into your house to come and pray for you, you're probably going to ask someone who you think is absolutely at the core of this thing and not someone who's on the edge and maybe might be a spy for the persecutors. And so you're going to, you know, that's maybe the context. So you're going to call one of the leaders. If they're not available, then you should just call someone who is righteous because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, again, lots of us will let ourselves off the hook at that point because we'll say, no, that's great. I understand that. It's just, I'm not a righteous person. You know, like I was doing some DIY yesterday and I banged my thumb with a hammer and I, I, I omitted a word that, you know, I wouldn't have, want to admit in this room. And so, you know, one time I actually watched Breaking Bad. And, and so I'm not a righteous person. So I get let off the hook. Is that right? No, it's wrong. Because the word that's used there in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person, is the same word that's used throughout the New Testament to describe people who have a declaration of righteousness made over their life. So, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he, he talks about Christians. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wherever you see the word justified in the New Testament, you're, you're talking about you've got a declaration of righteousness over your life. And so that's really the message that James is wanting to communicate. If you have a declaration of righteousness over your life, then if somebody in your life is unwell, then you should be ready to do the stuff. You should be ready to pray. And the reason we, why I think that that interpretation is, is the interpretation is that if you follow his argument through, when he gets to verse 17, he starts to talk about Elijah. And he says, you know, Elijah, who's this kind of amazing prophet and, and sees all kinds of dramatic healings, he is someone who's actually really human, is what he says. And he's maybe drawing attention to the fact that Elijah is someone, in our day and age, we would say he's someone who struggles with his mental health. It's just really human. He says, Elijah was just really human, just like us. But when he prayed, heaven answered. And so James's qualifications for, you know, what kinds of people should lay their hands on sick people, he essentially saying, well, you need to be human. You know, you might want to pinch yourself, just check you're currently human. You've got to be human and you've got to have a declaration of righteousness over your life. And that's why in this church, we believe that everyone gets to play. Um, and maybe that's why we're seeing so many people receive a measure of healing in this church. You know, like, let's be truthful. When we pray for people, often nothing apparent happens. But sometimes something happens. Uh, just recently, there was a lady in our church. She um, 
two years previously had slipped over on the ice. She had um, uh, uh, like really badly damaged her face uh, and that had subsequently healed. But as well as that, she was really uh, struggling to walk. And so she had two walking sticks and she was just kind of like uh, hobbling everywhere. And then just recently someone prayed for her and they said the first time they prayed, nothing happened. And then the second time they prayed, nothing happened. The third time they prayed, they could feel their hands getting really red hot. And the lady opened her eyes. She went, wow. And then she could immediately feel something shift in her back and also in her hips. And as a result of that, she's, she's uh, completely mobile again. And she's like doing laps of the block and stuff like that. She's having to build up the muscles and her fitness. But in terms of the, the condition that was causing her, so she, she immediately, those two sticks got no use for them whatsoever. There was um, a lady, a young woman in our Aberdeen North site a few weeks ago. She'd had chronic stomach pain for 11 years. And some people prayed for her. Again, the first time, nothing apparently happened. The second time, suddenly she was like, oh! and she could feel like this popping sensation in her stomach. And um, she was like, I, I, I daren't move. She, you know, her suspicion was, if I even move a muscle, then this pain's going to come back. But no, someone who was able to reassure her, no, 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 like if, if Jesus has healed you, then he's healed you. And so she was like, this is amazing. First time pain-free for 11 years. There was another guy at the conference. What, when was that? About a month ago, just over a month ago. He had kidney stones and he'd been in acute pain for three months. And then somebody prayed for him, immediately gone. And so later on, you know, if you've come here today with a, some kind of physical condition, maybe you're in Ellen or Peterhead or online, there's something going on for you at the moment in terms of your body, we'd love to pray for you. You know, maybe nothing will happen, but maybe on the second or third attempt, something might happen. And that's what we're going to, uh, we'd love to try. So grown-up disciples know how to do this stuff. And lastly, grown-up disciples live transparent lives. In the summer after my GCSEs, I, uh, my parents were out at work and me and my friend David Levi decided that we would have a barbecue. And so we wheeled the barbecue out of the shed. It was the first time it had been used that summer. And, uh, you know, we're trying to light it, but we just can't get the charcoal to light properly. We're trying all kind of, uh, over and over again. Uh, you know, the most we could get the charcoal to do was kind of smolder a bit. And, and so... Then I said to my friend David Levi, hey, listen, we've actually got some petrol for the lawnmower in the shed. So why don't we try that? And so, you know, we put, took it out of the shed and we arranged between us the division of labor. He was going to pour on the petrol and I was going to light the match. And so he pours the petrol on. And at that point, just looking back, you know, I should have noticed that the petrol immediately vaporized on this smoldering charcoal but then I lit the match and this huge fireball came towards me and hit me in the face and and immediately like I lost half of my hair which is not all that hard to imagine now is it but um and my eyebrows my eyelashes uh, and I ran upstairs and I'd been in the scouts and the cubs so I knew what to do I ran the bath full of cold water and I just put my face in the bath full of cold water for a couple of hours but unfortunately, over the next week or so, you know, these blisters started to emerge and, and you know, like it was like red raw, um, but it was only on one side of my face. And so my parents 
never found out because every time I saw them, I would just turn to the other side like that. And for a whole summer, until my hair grew back, my eyelashes, the, the, I just would just always see them to one side like that. And they never found out until my wedding day when my best man spilled the beans. But isn't it amazing? It's amazing what we can hide from each other, the secrets that we can hold. And James wants us to know that the things that we hold privately, secretly, that we don't want anyone to know are a dangerous thing. Because what happens is, you know, like we maybe do something or we have habits or cycles, patterns of behavior, things that go on in our minds that we don't tell anyone about and those things start to develop a pulse of their own. And the devil, you know, throughout scripture is, is called the accuser. And so he starts to accuse us and say, do you know, if people knew what you were really like, they wouldn't be treating you like they do. If pe- you know, if people found out what you'd done or what you consistently do, then you wouldn't have the same kind of position in church that you do and so on. And so, and so there's even more kind of... Uh, incentive to just keep things hidden but what the result is is that we find ourselves with our lives just being wrapped in chains of shame it's really difficult to grow and mature in our faith when we're wrapped in chains of shame and maybe that's why James says uh, in verse 16 confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you'll be healed. And that word healed is a word that means way more than physical healing. It's like everything is well. Confess your sins to each other. The crazy thing is, you know, even those deepest, darkest things that we wish no one would ever know, the, the cra- the, and the, the chains of shame that come with that, the crazy thing is, all I need to do to break those chains is to tell one person. To just open up and share and then all of the power has gone. And so James is kind of casting this vision for the kind of community that we could be. These two one another's. We confess our sins to each other and so we're a freeing people. You know, we, we become the kind of community that free each other from the chains of shame. And we're the kind of community that when there seems to be nothing that we can do. There is something that we can do. We can confess our sins to each other and also we can pray for each other. And that's what mature faith looks like. That's what a mature community looks like. Why don't we stand? In a moment, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to our Aberdeen North site on the other side of the city to go and give them a message that sounds remarkably similar to the one that you've just heard. Uh, But let me pray for you and I'm going to hand back to Tor and TK. And so, Lord, we're standing here as a community but also as individuals.
people living with various levels of shame. People living with circumstances that are seemingly beyond us. Where else should we go but to you? And Jesus, we pray that you would come right now and break the chains of shame. And we pray that you would come right now and begin to change our circumstances, our physical health, our emotional well-being. Come and break in, God. Come and do what only you can do. We surrender to you. We wave the white flag. Only you. Only you.